Welcome to the Mission Cleveland Weekly Podcast. Encouragement and hope in a despairing world. Father, may the words of my mouth and the meditations of my heart be acceptable in your sight, O God, my rock and my redeemer. Amen. Amen. Well, we continue this evening uh, our series in the book of Ruth, the Old Testament book uh, that comes immediately after the book of Judges. Uh, in the Hebrew Bible, the, uh, it actually comes... Uh, right after the book of Proverbs, because Ruth is this picture of this um, uh, wife of, of, of valor, this virtuous wife, um, virtuous woman, that Proverbs 31, the last uh, uh, chapter in the book of Proverbs, Proverbs, ends with. Ruth is a beautiful uh, book. I remember going through it uh, one semester in school, uh, and having to uh, to translate it and just uh, falling in love with it. So uh, being in this series has rekindled uh, that all over again. Uh, so much uh, so much uh, substance packed into this little four chapter mini narrative in the Old Testament. And as an aside, I will just say the Old Testament is full of so much good stuff. We ignore it to our peril. Don't neglect the Old Testament, please. Amen? Amen. There is an early church heresy uh, that neglected the Old Testament, and we do not want to repeat that in our day and age. Amen? Um, so we have been uh, in Ruth chapters 1 and 2, and this evening I will uh, speak some to cha- uh, on chapter 3. So we're introduced to Ruth, to her mother-in-law, Naomi, Uh, Naomi's husband Elimelech dies along with their two children whom Ruth was married to. Ruth was a Moabite. She was from Moab where uh, Naomi and Elimelech and their two sons went to reside uh, for about 10 years. And so uh, here we are with with Ruth and Naomi and uh, Orpah, the other uh, son's wife, all widows. And uh, God had Uh, answered the prayer of many people, and there was no longer a famine in Bethlehem, which there's some irony there, Bethlehem, house of bread. There was a famine, a lack of bread in the house of bread, Uh, but God had heard the cry of many people and uh, had blessed them with with, uh, uh, rain and with uh, harvest. And so they they come back, but Naomi tells the two, uh, her two daughters-in-law, you know, please Go back to your homeland because they're young. They're still young enough to find another husband and security for themselves. Uh, So uh, Orpah's like, great, peace out, I'm gone. Uh, But Ruth, actually, it says, clings to her. Uh, She would not leave her side. Uh, And we see in Ruth uh, such a uh, somebody with a big heart who cares deeply about Naomi. Uh, In an age that did not have life insurance, uh, the security was the family, the extended family, particularly your husband and your sons, who would care for you. Uh, so, uh, so Naomi had lost all of that. Uh, so she had a uh, daughter-in-law, Ruth, however, who noticed that, and she was just like, her, her compassion would not allow her to leave Naomi. So she continued with her. So we enter into chapter 2, 
and we're introduced to this new character named Boaz. Uh, Boaz, it says, is a valorous uh, man. He's a good dude. Uh, and uh, apparently he's wealthy and well-known and well-liked as well. Uh, and so Ruth goes out to, to help uh, glean uh, in the fields to help get some food so her and Naomi can eat. And uh, Boaz uh, takes notice of her and asks who she is. And uh, he is told by his workers that, uh, that uh, you know, who she is. And he had heard about her because Boaz is in the same family as uh, Elimelech was and as Naomi uh, therefore is. So Boaz ends up talking to Ruth. He gives her more uh, barley than um, uh, it was very, he was very generous to her. And then Naomi uh, finds out that it was Boaz's field and uh, that, that uh, Ruth gleans in. And uh, she's like, go back to that field. Don't go anywhere else lest you be harmed. And her making that statement shows you the danger uh, that existed with Ruth being an outsider uh, who was gleaning, uh, an outsider widow who was gleaning in the fields of this foreign land and, um, you know, and the danger that existed uh, with, uh, with that. So now we enter into chapter 3, which we have another scene with Ruth and Boaz at the threshing floor. And I just so happened to uh, get the short straw uh, and preach over this passage because this passage is a little bit more charged and tense than other passages have been uh, in the past. So, um, so thank you to Chris Sorensen who made the preaching schedule and uh, told me, Luke, you're preaching over Ruth chapter 3. And uh, so we put out a little disclaimer in the Mission Minute basically saying, hey, if you have kids that stay in the service with you, just a heads up, there might be some talk of some things. Now, I promise you, y'all, it's going to be PG, okay? It's going to be PG. I'm not going to say anything explicit or stupid or anything like that because the text doesn't go there. The tension is there. It's, there's a lot of tension. It's very thick, uh, but it doesn't go there, uh, even though some uh, commentators and people uh, try to suggest it does, but it really does not. So anyhow, uh, uh, at the beginning of this chapter, Naomi wants to reciprocate Ruth's kindness by looking out for her future. She says, I must find a home for you where you will be well provided for. She's looking out for her security. Um, so she says, now Boaz, with whose women you have worked, is a relative of ours. Tonight he will be winnowing barley on the threshing floor. Wash, put on perfume, and get dressed in your best clothes. Then go down to the threshing floor, but don't let him know you're there until he's finished eating and drinking. When he lies down, note the place where he's lying. Then go and cover his feet, lie down. He will tell you what to do. So the threshing floor is this large, flat area of solid rock situated in a city to take advantage of the winds which were necessary for the winnowing process. Typically, animals walked over the grain to separate it from the stalk, or a device called a sledge was pulled by animals as it was dragged over the grain. We know from previous chapters that Boaz is a kinsman redeemer, or a guardian redeemer is another translation of it. He was the... <clears throat> the person who would reacquire property that was lost by family members. 
or free relatives who had sold themselves into slavery due to following on hard times. Overall, it was to help family members in need and rescue them from their plight. Naomi tells Ruth, wash, put on perfume, and get dressed. So there's a shift in the text here, narratively indicating that Ruth's mourning is over. In the ancient Near East, you did not wash or anoint yourself with oil when you were in mourning. There's a story in 2 Samuel chapter 2 when David was fasting and praying for his son who was born to Bathsheba. After the child died, there was no need to fast. It says David got up, washed, put on lotions, changed his clothes. <coughs> um, so there's something about washing, putting on perfume, getting dressed in your best clothes that should alert the reader that Ruth's mourning is over. Her mourning is over, and she's ready to marry again. Also, just think about this. Wash, put on perfume, get dressed, wait until his belly's full and he's had something to drink and he's sleeping and go lie down at his feet. Think about that. If that's supposed to catch your attention, or if, if that catches your attention, it's supposed to. It's supposed to catch your attention. So it says, Naomi says to uncover his feet, and some see this as a euphemism, as feet can refer to the male private parts. The sexual tension in this passage is certainly thick. A woman with perfume dressed nice at the threshing floor alone with a man after he'd been engaging, engaging in manual labor. His belly was full and he had likely been drinking wine. Ruth corrects a lot of Old Testament stories that went wrong. There is an echo here of the story of Lot with his daughters in Genesis chapter 19 that we'll look at in just a moment. But Ruth says to Naomi, I will do whatever you say. So I think that there is a danger in seeing Ruth as this submissive, obedient person, but removing any agency that she has. As we'll see, she takes liberty as the story unfolds. I think it's often highlighted that she was just this sweet little submissive, obedient woman. But the boldness that Ruth has in this entire book, but particularly this chapter, is astounding. So we must not neglect in seeing her agency and her boldness that she takes in this book and in this chapter. And, okay, so we get down, she says, I'll do whatever you say. And then we get to verse 7, and it says, When Boaz had finished eating and drinking and was in good spirits, he was feeling good. Manual labor all day, belly full, probably after drinking a few glasses of wine. He was feeling good. He was going to sleep good that evening, okay? 
So Boaz had finished eating and drinking and was in good spirits. He went over to lie down at the far end of the grain pile. Why would he have been there? Probably for security purposes, so people wouldn't come and steal the grain. Ruth approached quietly, uncovered his feet, and lay down. There's echoes here of the Lot story in Genesis chapter 19, but Ruth is correcting this story. There's other stories, Old Testament stories gone wrong, that the book of Ruth corrects as well. In the story of Lot, both lotters, both daughters got Lot drunk and slept with him and became pregnant. One daughter named her son Moab. Where was Ruth from? She was from Moab. He became the father of the Moabites. So through this story, God is redeeming that ugly story in Israel's past. Because that's what God does, isn't it? He can take ugly things and he can make them beautiful. He can take ugly stories and he can restore them. He can make tombs into flower beds, swords into plowshares, spears into pruning hooks. He can make an AK-47 into a shovel. He can take ugly stories and restore them. And he does that with our own stories, doesn't he? We could go around the room this evening and we could hear your stories of redemption because that's the God that we serve. A God who turns the story of Lot and his daughters into a story about the birth of King David and then the birth of the Messiah. So what does this uncover his feet mean? There's no reason to think it means anything other than what it says uncovering his feet. So he probably had something over him, and the uncovering would have awakened him sooner so that he would take notice of her. Get your mind out of a gutter. (laughs) So in 3.8, there is a scene shift, and the point of view changes from the narrator to Boaz. This is one of the beautiful things about Hebrew narrative. Um, So many... Uh, the, the, the authors of the biblical stories were literary geniuses. And, uh, you know, when you look at things in detail, it makes you just fall in love with, with Scripture uh, all over again. But there is a, a scene shift. It says, in the middle of the night, something startled the man. It doesn't call him Boaz. He turned, and there was a woman lying at his feet. And in the Hebrew, there's this word that often translated as behold. And it's like a If there was a camera, it would zoom in like from his vantage point and see the woman lying at his feet. There's a woman. It it doesn't identify her. We know that it's Ruth from the story, but behold, there's a woman lying at his feet. And he says, who are you? And she says, I'm your servant, Ruth. The word translated servant here is ama in Hebrew. And it was usually used as a female servant, and it was a different word for servant than was used in chapter 3 when she was gleaning in the fields. It was a more elevated status of servants. And she says, I'm your servant, Ruth. Spread the corner of your garment over me since you are a guardian redeemer of our family. Guardian redeemer, she calls him. A redeemer. 
one who marries a widow of a deceased relative. By using this term, Ruth is telling Boaz, marry me. Marry me. Spread your garment over me was slang for marry me. Think of the boldness. Did, did Naomi tell Ruth to propose marriage to Boaz? No. It said, wait until he's feeling good. Lie down at his feet. He'll tell you what to do. But look at Ruth's boldness and the agency that she shows. Why? Because of her great love for Naomi and seeing that she is cared for. You traditionalists that think the man should always propose to the woman need to read the story of Ruth. She was incredibly bold by doing this, which explains Boaz's response. So Boaz says, the Lord bless you, my daughter. This kindness is greater than that which you showed earlier. You've not run after the younger man, whether rich or poor. I will do for you all that you ask. All the people of my town know that you are a woman of noble character. So, so what Boaz says is he says the kindness, this kindness is a word that we've seen over and over in the book of Ruth, that Hebrew word hesed, that describes that loyal love, that kindness that Ruth shows. But Boaz pumps the brakes a little bit, if you will, because there's one thing that consummated a marriage in the ancient world, it it was not a ceremony. It was the act of intercourse. I truly think that Ruth was ready and prepared to do that that evening. But Boaz pumped the brakes, and he, was, he said, nope, there's another suitor that we need to find. But I'm not going to lie to you. I do think that Ruth was ready to do that, not in a promiscuous way, but in a marry me, let's make this official by doing what makes it official. That's what made it official still does, technically, in the Christian tradition, in the the Judeo-Christian mind, that is what consummates a marriage. That's what binds a woman and man together. So Ruth is full of characters that are seeking the good of the other. Ruth to Naomi, and now in chapter 3, Naomi to Ruth, and Boaz to Ruth. In a time when the judges ruled, when everybody did what was right in their own eyes, God always spares his children who think of others before themselves. This is so foundational to her faith because it's foundational to the very essence of God and his Trinitarian nature. The Father loves the Son. The Son points to the Spirit. The Spirit testifies about the Father and the Son. There's always this other-centeredness in the Christian faith because that's who God is, and that's who He expects us to be. No matter how bad you think the world is, and I promise you it's not worse now than it's ever been, but but 
it can get pretty bad. And no matter how bad you think the world is, if you have the eyes to see, you will see God preserving people all around you who truly care about you and who truly sacrifice for others. And this is what God calls for each of us. So even during times when everyone around you is doing right in their own eyes, you can live rightly. You can resist. You can do the right thing and not follow the crowd. You know, there's this social phenomenon called herd mentality. I'm sure many people have heard of it. But it describes how people can be influenced by the majority. And research through Leeds University showed that it only takes about 5% of people to influence a crowd of 95% of people. So when others around us are living lives not honoring God, we are more likely to follow suit. It's human behavior. However, humans have a prefrontal cortex. We can reverse course. We can say no. We, ha- we can discern and judge. And we cannot follow the herd. Upright and noble men and women are not swayed by majorities. This has relevance to our politics, to our theology, to our behavior, to how we treat people, to our decisions at work and school. The only thing that we should let, the only herd that we should let sway us is the herd of the triune God. Amen? Amen. The herd of the ancient church. And in a day when everyone else was doing right in their own eyes, we see beautiful examples of thinking of the other. They weren't just thinking out for numero uno. So in 3.11, Boaz says, All the people of my town know that you are a woman of noble character. That's the Hebrew for a, a, a woman of valor that Proverbs 31 uses. And, and uh, follow, going on down to verse 13, it says, he says, Stay here for the night, and in the morning, if he wants to do his duty, talking about another guy, there's another suitor who's a closer relative, as your guardian redeemer, good, let him redeem you. But he, if he's not willing, surely as the Lord lives, I will do it. Lie here until morning. The book of Ruth shows Boaz as a keeper of the law, a picture of what life in Israel was supposed to be like and how men were supposed to act, how men were supposed to treat women. This scene is packed with tension and vulnerability. And Boaz does not take advantage of Ruth, despite it being incredibly easy to do so, given her circumstances and situation. He does the right thing in a situation where it could have been easy to do the wrong thing. In the words of a former professor of mine, Dr. Chisholm, at the barley threshing floor under the veil of night with the smell of fertility in the air, Some might have capitulated to physical desire, but not Boaz and Ruth, 
who move toward the consummation of their relationship in a proper, morally upright manner. You can see that Boaz is a man of upright character by the self-control that he had, by the way he spoke to Ruth. And I'm going to speak to the men in the room, and I'm going to say, take note, my friends, my brothers. Treat women with respect. Amen? Amen. Amen. Do not make them objects of your desire. Follow the example of Boaz. Don't take advantage of anybody, but especially of our sisters, of of women. In 3.17, he says, uh, or it says, it says, Boaz ends up saying, he says, bring me the shawl you're wearing and hold it out. And he poured six measures of barley and placed the bundle on her. Then he went back to town. He says, don't go back to your mother-in-law empty-handed. This is an allusion to Naomi's words in chapter 1 when she said, I went away full, but the Lord has brought me back empty. God is using Boaz to fill Naomi back up. Showing sacrificial love to those who are hurting restores their hope. When we live in community in such a way that we are serving and caring for one another, the disadvantaged will be filled up. The law is summarized in the commands to love God and love neighbor. And in a day where everyone does what is right in their own eyes, always choose love of God and neighbor. Ruth shows us a picture of what happens when you show kindness and love for neighbor. You create possibilities for others that would not have existed otherwise. You create a world that can give birth to the Messiah. In the name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit. Amen. Amen. Speak truth to my heart. Thanks for listening. Join us at the Mission Cleveland next week.